Hey guys, in case you haven't heard, you can get the Ruben Report podcast totally ad-free. Join Ruben Select at patreon.com slash Report. That's patreon.com slash Report. Joining me today is the original king of interviewing, a friend, a mentor, a living legend, and a man who loves a good Brooklyn water bagel, Larry King. Welcome to the Ruben Report. You know, whenever I hear legend, I think one thing, old. <laughs> well, old. E- every time we've sat down, I, always, I, I feel that I have to say living legend at the beginning because well, you, one are, of, you are, I one of the tell best you, com- you are. One of the best compliments I ever got was Derek Jeter, great Yankee, now owner of the Marlins, came over to me at the All-Star Game some years ago and said, you, he said, there are a lot of phony legends. You're a true legend. Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah, that warmed my heart. And that's coming from a legend, because that, guy, that guy's a true baseball legend, too. Did you ever think that after all your years in, in radio, in cable news, now doing the digital thing, that you'd be sitting in a garage being interviewed like this, going out to hundreds of thousands and millions of people? Let me tell you the truth, Ruben. This is the pinnacle of my career. <laughs> if you'd have told me 61 years ago when I started, 61 years from today, you'll be known around the world, you'll be called an icon, a living legend, and at the height of your career, (laughs) you'll be in a garage with David Rubin. It's come full circle. It's come full circle. (laughs) You're killing me, Larry. Happy to be here, David. But what does that that say about just how everything has changed? I mean... Oh, the only thing sure is change. The only thing constant is change. When I started in radio, we had landlines, uh, went through a phone line. I did started radio, did local television one year after I started. Audio always did both, always regarded both equally. Uh, I always thought of television as radio with pictures. Yeah. We could be on a radio now. Yeah, but we released this as an audio podcast. I know, but they don't have to see it. Yeah. Uh, we could imagine any radio theater of the mind, but I always took it as just communicating. So I started in radio, then did local television, then did national radio and satellites. I was there when satellites were introduced. I never forgot it. I'm in Washington, the guest is in LA, and it feels like he's right there. Yeah. Right there. It was amazing. Satellite, and I said, satellites? That's the end. That completes it. Then Ted Turner hired me for CNN, and I'm seen around the world. We go up 23,000 miles to go next door and to Moscow. Hmm. Try to explain that to Jefferson. <laughs> now I'm doing that, and now after 20, almost 26 years at CNN, 61 years in the business, I thought I could retire. Carlos Slim came along, he said, we gotta do something, so the internet or a TV, Hulu, who knew from this? Yeah. And when you tell me about the internet, what bugs me is, where the hell is it? Where is the internet? And people talk about the internet, and I'm, even though- You just have to accept it, my friend. Uh, correct, I'm a product of all these things, but basically, David, yeah. I am doing exactly what I did 61 years ago. What this, what we're doing right now is no different. Yeah. We're being delivered differently, 
But what we're doing is no different. What does that say about this? The ability to sit across from somebody, look them in the eye, and, and actually try to understand the human experience. Because I was saying to you in the green room right before, there is a massive renaissance right now because of podcasts about long-form conversation, the thing that you've been doing for 60-some-odd years. But that's where it's happening, in podcasts. Yeah. Uh, it's not happening on television. Not even on cable television. They used to call, you know, MSNBC, CNN, and Fox news channels. They're not news channels. They are Trump channels. One's pro-Trump, one's anti-Trump, one sometimes hate Trump, <laughs> and there's pundits. Yeah. It's 24 hours a day of punditry. They do not cover the news. When the hurricane was hitting Carolina, it was in a box mm -hmm. <laughs> on the corner of the screen while they were talking about Trump. You saw where the hurricane was. That's not news. Do you remember seeing a change on that? Because you were at CNN, do you remember what year you started at CNN? I started, of course you remember. 1985 and left in 2010. Yeah, do you remember seeing something changing in the way cable oh, yeah. news reported and the way well, they... Well, I saw it when the other side started. You know, we owned it for a while, CNN. Yeah. And then it was MSNBC and then Fox. And we thought they were little invaders. Ted Turner was a genius. Yeah. An off-the-pants genius, off the seat of the pants. He was driving in a car one day, and the guy said, all news all the time. He said, why couldn't that work on television? <laughs> then he puts it up on the big bird. Look what he, he is the revolutionary leader of the second half of the 20th century. Changed the world. And look where it's come to. Now the internet, now you're everywhere. You know the difference? There's good and bad to it. If something happened in the world right now, David, everyone knows it in a minute. In a minute, yeah. the world knows it. Wow. Yeah. What do we do with this? Te and technology is always ahead of the human advance. So when technology is ahead, it's how do we grasp using this? It's a great power. I interviewed Steve Jobs when he started Apple. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if he were here today, if he would know what an impact that's had in the world. Because I've had experts tell me that your iPhone will control your life. It basically is controlling our lives right now. This is this That's is a perfect segue, my friend. Can you bust out your phone? I do not have an iPhone <laughs> because I don't want to be. I was addicted to tobacco from age 17 to age 53 when I had a heart attack. I know what addiction is. I would wake up in the morning and grab the cigarette before I put my glasses on, anything. I see people, my wife, friends, with their cell phones. I have dinner with a friend I never talked to. We sit at dinner and I'm eating and he's... Yeah. I think they get thumb cancer. So I have... Old school. A flip phone. See this phone? Yeah. It's a phone. Put it to your ear. You hear the other side. I don't text. I hear people. They call me. I call them. Normal. You're the only person that I actually call. You do realize that. I don't call anybody. I you text. just text. I text. Now, why do I you? Why them. you? See, this hurts me. Yeah. You, as a broadcaster, as a communicator. Yeah. Why do you text? All right, I can see an emergency. I'm stuck. <laughs> I'll be late. Yeah. But come on. Sometimes speak just, to people. It, well, look. You know this is what I love to do. But sometimes, just for the sake of ease, 
of just, you know, I'm going to be here then or I'll see you there. You know, a lot of that. I try not to have long form discussions about political people issues. Do. or But yeah, people are fighting over personal things on there and, and all of that. But wait, I want, I want to back up to something you said before, because so when the satellites started and then you suddenly were doing interviews with people where you weren't in the same room, do you remember that? affecting the interview in any way? Because I always like this. I don't like... Oh, there's nothing like that. Nothing yeah. beats this. Yeah. Nothing. However, I always try to treat it as this, they just weren't there. So I try to make eye contact via the satellite. I try to treat it as if they were there. And what I got used to handling well and enjoyed was when I'd have five different guests in five different places yeah. and controlling that. Yeah. And then I did diplomacy. I had a night where we had uh, Arafat, Rabin, and uh, King, the King of Jordan. Yeah, King Abdullah. Not Abdullah, yeah. his father. Okay. All three. Kissinger told me, you're doing diplomacy. Huh. I had Arafat, King of Jordan, and the Prime Minister of Israel. Together, me, a little Jewish kid from Brooklyn, <laughs> sitting there by satellite, but I felt I was with them. Yeah. I, I didn't treat it as them being there. I treated it as like this. Yeah. Did you, in, in some of the bigger interviews that you did over the years, I mean, you've interviewed, you've truly interviewed everybody. Is, is there anyone that you felt like you didn't, you didn't get to? Yeah, Castro. I went down to Cuba in, 19, in 2009, 2009. I was treated regally, they all were wonderful to me, uh, but I couldn't nail it, huh. couldn't get him to do it. I was fascinated by him because he led his country longer than any leader in memory. Hmm. Somebody had to like him. <laughs> right, even if it was only one person. And then when I went to Havana, I never saw a happier country. I was amazed, the people, smiling, musical, Hotels mobbed, you know, from Canadians and Germans and beautiful weather, a beautiful city. What a Havana ought to be open to everybody. It's beautiful. The waters are gorgeous. It's a great city. How aware were you when you're interviewing big timers, the real movers and shakers, the the, the Rabins and Arafats that you mentioned, that something that you ask them could actually turn the course of history? Yeah, I'm not aware. I know a lot of it did. I know the Pearl-Gore debate changed NAFTA. We, Clinton called me up the next day and said, you pass NAFTA. <laughs> that was way behind until the Gore-Pearl debate. You try not to realize it, but once, once the light goes on, that's just the moment I'm in. In other words, I, if I'm sitting with Jimmy Carter or a ballet dancer, once the light goes on, I'm in that moment. I don't think about yesterday, can't do anything about it. Don't think about tomorrow, that's tomorrow. So I'm in the now. So I'm right in this now. You should be in this now. So if you've got Trump coming tomorrow and you're thinking about that, then you're losing this moment. I'm here. So I always treat, I'm I, here, I, always, I focused. Do you think that the, your curiosity do you think you sort of made that for yourself or was it built into you? Because I've been out with you to lunch or to dinner, breakfast, whatever it is, and I can see you're as curious about the waiter Everything. or the busboy yeah. or sometimes when we were at Aura together 
and you'd be chatting with you know the guy doing the lights or whatever that you were actually as interested in them as if I've Lady always Gaga had, had I've always had that David I I remember as a kid getting on a bus kid and asking the bus driver why do you want to drive a bus <laughs> I remember we'd go to ball games kid in Brooklyn go to Dodger games go with my friends we'd wait outside for the players they wanted autographs. I never wanted an autograph. I wanted to ask questions. I would run along with a player going to his car. Why did, why did you bunt? Why did you do that? I was always a why person. Yeah. I'm the kind of person you don't want to sit next to on an airplane. I, I'm in, and I don't know where that came from, but it's the best gift I got. Was curiosity, the gift of curiosity. Anthony Quinn told me that. You have the greatest gift ever, curiosity. My friend Herbie Cohen, who wrote You Can Negotiate Anything, says to me, the secret of my success is being stupid. <laughs> he didn't mean that demeaning. Basically, what you're doing is saying, help me. Help me with this. Why did you do that? Someone asked me, if you had interviewed Osama bin Laden, what would your first question have been? Well, it would not have been, why did you bomb the World Trade Center? It would have been... You grew up in one of the richest families in Saudi Arabia. Why'd you leave? Hmm. Now, he probably hadn't thought of that since he left. Yeah. But it forces you to think. And then I'm gonna learn more about him before I learn about the bombing. And also you have to understand that nobody, nobody thinks they're evil. Hitler did not comb his hair in the morning and say, I am a bad person. They may be crazy, but they believe. Nobody thinks, boy, I'm really terrible. And everyone has an excuse for what they do. The bank robber. That bank, boy, my father, they charged his checking account to screw them. Yeah. And the public, funny enough, admires the renegade. Dillinger was very popular in America. Very popular. He robbed from banks. Who likes banks? Right. So how do you then interview a, a bad dude, someone that's got... You're curious. You're them. curious about a bad dude. Yeah. I, I try not to. It's hard sometimes. Racists especially. Yeah. I, I had a tough time doing the early George Wallace. Mm -hmm. The later George Wallace was terrific. The yeah. early George Wallace, I had a tough time. Because I don't understand racism. I've never understood it. Yeah. I don't have no understanding of why someone with a different pigment, that's all it is, should be treated differently. You think that comes from just growing up in Brooklyn in the yeah, 30s okay. when it was such a mix? Can you, can you just talk about that a little bit, like what that was like growing up? Oh, I grew up in a neighborhood of mixed, you know, with Jews, Protestants, Catholics. That's it. With some blacks, not a lot, but blacks went to school with us. When I went down to Miami to break into radio, I was 23, and I got off the train, and the first thing I saw were two water fountains, colored white. I drank out of the colored. Yeah? I'd never seen anything like that. You go up in Brooklyn, that was beyond me. Then I got on a bus to go over to Miami Beach to stay with my uncle, and the bus driver stops the bus and asks me to move forward because the back is for blacks. Wow. And I said to him, my father's black. I'll stay in the back. 
So I, ne I never understood it. And I've asked this of racists. I have never understood why a white feels superior to a black. Lenny Bruce, who was a great friend of mine, used to tell me that the human being has to have something to hate. That drives them because they have an inferiority complex. So they have to feel superior to something. And he told me 40 years ago, someday blacks will get equal rights and we'll have to hate something. Mm. I'll tell you what we'll hate. Eskimos. <laughs> Eskimos. There's always another, right? In other words, you know you used to check in a hotel and underneath the chair would be a sign, remove under penalty of law. Mm -hmm. You know who removes them? Eskimos. They hate those things. You know any Eskimo war heroes? Yeah, you don't know. Name one. I can't, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna Google that on got my Esk iPhone. Got an Eskimo this. doctor? <laughs> no, that's, but they would look for things. Right, they would just try to find something. And racism always befuddled. I interviewed Dean Rusk, Secretary of State, Kennedy years, and he was a very progressive Southerner from Georgia. His daughter married a black man. He, has, he said, I have no prejudice. Dean Rusk, they taught me a little about prejudice. So did Malcolm X. Dean Rusk said to me, my daughter married a black man, I have black grandchildren. I have no prejudice. I got on a commercial plane. The pilot was black and for a minute I was nervous. That shows you how inbred it could be. Yeah. Can he fly the plane? But I've never, I, it boggles me. When, you, when over the years, when you've talked to some of these people, you know, a white supremacist or just some of these people that come from that truly racist place, I, did you ever hear them say anything? Was it almost like therapy in a way that you felt if you talked to them long enough, maybe they could get out of it? Did you ever sense that that I, was I, part I, of you it? Try, you try to try the best you can. Now there's some books out by former white supremacists who yeah. come full circle. It, of course, their race a lot to do with raising their, their major inferiority complex. You got to deal with that. Although someone said it's not a complex, they're inferior. <laughs> <laughs> the Rubin Report is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. No matter what you do in the bathroom to get ready, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. They have amazing shower stuff, hair styling products, toothbrushes, and toothpaste, and of course, razors and shave supplies. I love using Dollar Shave Club's six blade executive razor to clean up my beard every couple days, but my morning routine wouldn't be complete without their Dr. Carver's Softening Beard Oil. This special formula softens my facial hair for easier maintenance without being too oily and makes combing my mane a breeze. In case you've ever wondered what I smell like, the oil is lightly scented with hints of black pepper and lavender, which keep me smelling great all day. Best of all, the oil works with facial hair of all lengths, from light stubble to a burly beard. No matter what style I'm feeling, Dollar Shave Club has my back. That's how I get ready, but you're not me. You have your own way you get ready. You might shave your whole body to get ready for a bike race. Dollar Shave Club's executive razor and shave butter can help. You might do your hair to get ready for your soccer match or a hot date. Boogies by DSC can help you get your style right. The thing is, no matter what you do to get ready, DSC has everything you need. And right now you can get ready with an amazing deal on any one of their starter sets. I recommend the Daily Essentials starter set because I love the Amber Lavender Body Cleanser, but you can't go wrong with any of them. Head over to dollarshaveclub.com slash Ruben to pick your own DSC starter set for just five bucks. After your starter set, products ship at regular price. 
nice. And make sure you check out their new video too. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Ruben, dollarshaveclub.com slash Ruben. Who are some of the people that you interviewed that, uh, that you think either it, it went the wrong way or any regrets in never sitting down with someone and go, oh man, I missed that moment. Oh, I could tell you one. Yeah. It's the one, I'm trying to remember his name now. It's the guy who succeeded Steve Jobs. Uh, the one immediate, well, Tim Cook now, but it's not no, Tim Cook. No, no, this is Cook. Yeah. Steve Jobs hired him. Oh, what was his name? Bright guy, came from Pepsi-Cola, I think. I'll have my guys Google it while we're And he yeah. ran, he ran. And I had him on for two hours. Yeah. Great guest. And now, and was, was it Wozniak? What? Was it no, Steve Wozniak was, was his partner. Okay. No, this guy, he joined the corporation, Steve left out, then came back later. Okay, we'll, we'll grab it. So I spent two hours interviewing this guy, he was great. All about his previous jobs, and, and then I finish, and now I go to calls. I used to do this on my old radio show. Yep. Two hour interview, an hour calls, and then open phone America. I go to calls, the first call, Larry. Steve Jobs fired him. He replaced Steve Jobs, and then Steve Jobs fired him. You didn't even ask about that. Should've known. Yeah. It's tough when one gets by you, right? And it haunts you. Look at it. It's years ago, it still haunts me. You try to know everything. You can't. There's no perfect interview. You can't know everything. You do the best you can. I had a tough time with Ahmadinejad of Iran. Because he would, he would do it. Like, I remember he was talking to me. John Scully, I think, is the guy. Does it? Okay. John Scully. See, we've got a crack team over yeah, here. Yeah, you got it. He's still around, by the way. When I interviewed Ahmadinejad, and we're talking about various things, and we're talking about the Holocaust. And he says to me, as why I always have to listen when you're doing an interview, he said, if there was a Holocaust, why isn't Israel in Poland? That's where the crime occurred. Why is the state of Israel 2,000 miles away? There was no crime in Palestine. The crime was in Poland and Germany. Why didn't they take that area and give it to Israel? Right? Mm -hmm. It made some sense. You, you could argue it logically. Yeah. I said to him, did you say if there was a Holocaust? And we went right, in Just hole. right there. Are you saying if? Are you, no, no, then we got contentious. <clears throat> you denying the Holocaust? It was, uh, those are interesting. But look, I've had so many years doing this, Dave, and I can't explain how I still love it. I love the interplay. Yeah. You should love what you do. Yeah, My I do. You know why? You learn something every day. Every day you learn something. So I can't be closed-minded. Like, I'm a liberal politically, yeah. certainly in social issues. But I'm not closed-minded enough to think that you can't have an opposing view. I like the argument, I like the discussion, but in interviewing, I never, I leave my ego at the door. I try not to use the word I, it's irrelevant. And I tried to get into, walk in the other, you know, Edward Bennett Williams, the great lawyer, told me once, I said, what is the role of the criminal defense lawyer? He said to get one person on the jury 
to walk in your client's shoes. Hmm. If you can get one person to walk in your client's shoes, you've got a hung jury. All he has to do is say, I would have done that. Yeah. When you were doing five nights a week, and on any given, I, I use this example a lot, because people will say, oh Dave, you had this, you know, this bad person on, or this, that, the other thing. I'll say, you know, in, in Larry King's heyday, let's go 1992 CNN, you'd have the cast of Friends on Monday, you'd have an O.J. Simpson lawyer on Tuesday, you'd have, you know, an animal guy on Wednesday, <laughs> you'd have, you know, a doctor on, on Thursday, hmm. and then, you know, former Secretary of State on Friday. Was that crazy for you to just no, bounce? You, ju you just love the bounce. All around. part of my curiosity. Yeah. Most of the times, most of the times driving in, I didn't know I had on that night. Really? I still don't know Laura. I drive in, I don't know who's on. Unless it were really someone famous. Yeah. Like we might have the animal guy. I didn't know he was coming until I walk in to see all the animals. And <laughs> because my curiosity comes from pure curiosity. So were your guys handing you notes in front oh, of no, you? No, no, I'd get a blue card, like yeah. you had a little, I had a blue card with yeah. facts. Yeah. He was Secretary of State from this year to that year. He was responsible for the Marshall Plan, right? That's all. And then I would do the things that, how'd the Marshall Plan come about? Yeah. How, what part of it did you play with George Marshall? Was his plan, were you in on the thinking? You know, it, it's all, when, when we had, the Gulf War, I would see other shows in which the guests would come on, be a general or something, and the host would say, today in the Gulf War, 1,000 people were killed, and the thing, and now the terrain is here, and all I would say is, what happened? <laughs> what happened today? Because he has the perspective. If you have an interview where you turn the TV on, and the host is on, more than a guest, something's wrong. If, you, if it takes you three sentences to ask a question, <laughs> something's wrong. Because a lot of them are show-offs. I'll give you the show-off interviewer, ready? Yeah. Uh, my guest today is Dave Rubin. He's written a new book called Chicago, My Hometown. Been great to have you here, Dave. You know, I visited <laughs> Chicago many times. Always loved going there. Did you do? You, do you write about the, the stockyard? Yeah. Oh, oh. stockyards are fascinating. If you ever go there, folks, you know, in other words, yeah. you are a prop for me. And that's gone now. There, there aren't even those shows anymore. Yeah. What do you make of? So when you left CNN, I, I've said this to you before. You left in 2010. It seems to me you can do a pretty clean line between you leaving CNN, obviously the Piers Morgan thing didn't work out, if you want to comment on that you can, but that you were one of the people that people trusted. There's almost no one in news or on television anymore that people go, oh, like no one was walking around, even the people that maybe didn't like you that much, they were going, Larry King's a bad dude, Larry King's a liar, you know what I mean? Nobody was doing that. No, and that no. by, by having one of the main faces who had been there for so long, I really think it broke something in the continuity of CNN that kind of led us to where we are now related to all of cable news. Maybe, maybe it did. There were signs, you know, Fox News was beating us. We had won it all those years and Fox News was beating us, beating CNN in the day, beating us at night. That was a sign. This was a network that's not news. But am I making this up? When you left CNN, you still had the highest rated show on the network. Second highest. We, so we started a fall. 
not precipitously, but we started to fall. We saw it. We saw, CNN saw it coming because they saw the you know CNN always made a ton of money because they were the first. And everybody in America who had CNN paid 50 cents a month. So Ted Turner got in on a genius. Think of this. Right now, you and I are paying for CNN. We're not watching it. You don't pay for CBS. You're paying for CNN. He knew it. So CNN made money if they had no commercials or didn't do anything. Just be on. Public tuned in. It's a different world now. I can't, I don't know, maybe it was the cleavage, you know. Jerry Seinfeld said, my old column I used to do in USA Today, when I did It's My Two Cents, yeah. that was the beginning of Twitter. Yeah, really Just was. quick comments. Uh, but I, I, you know, people call me a pioneer and stuff. I, I, all I see myself is, I'm a lucky Jewish kid from Brooklyn who was curious and took that curiosity into a career. Yeah. And as I was able to take the natural curiosity and make a career of it. You think we're maybe running out of that when you when you talk to young people? You have two very young sons. When you talk to young people, watch how they get the news. You were telling me about kids with the phones and everything. And you you love the newspaper, right? You are uh, my New York Times. I, I got an iPhone. They gave me an iPhone, so I use it to get baseball scores. Yeah, that's all. I don't I don't have it with me. Yeah, I don't need it. The games are tonight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you go right. You're. I mean, you're a major, still a Dodger fan. Oh yeah, life, I, right? I love the game. I love. I go to basketball. I love the game. I love competition. You had your radio at Dodger Stadium, right? Yeah. I tell you why. I love sports. Sports is the one, if you're not a sports fan, are you? Oh yeah, I'm a big okay. sports fan, yeah. Okay, the best thing about being a sports fan is it's the one thing in your life, when you get up in the morning, you don't know who's gonna win. So you have something to look forward to, good or bad, you don't know who's gonna win. Nobody wakes up with that, except sports fans. Another thing what I love about athletes, maybe more than any profession, their career is over when other careers are beginning. Mm -hmm. They have that day when the cheering stops. Imagine what that's like. Yeah. You build yourself up and you're 37 years old. They paid you all this money for doing what you did as a kid. And another thing the athlete has that we don't have, final score. Can't argue. That's it. Eight to seven, you lost. You got seven. They got eight. You can say, yeah, but they should. Stop. You got seven. They got eight. Now, if you got eight, you get the applause, you get the down, you get that every day. Recognition, non-recognition. Walk down the street, hmm. athletes. So I love, I, so I love all, it brings all my curiosity Sports bring it to a head because I'm always interested in Last night, the Dodgers lost. He left a left-hander in to pitch to his <laughs> right-handed bat. He's got all those pitches in the dugout. Why did he leave him in? Why did he leave him in? Did you find there was something unique about the top-of-the-line athletes that you would talk to, that they, that they genuinely had something different? You know what they than had? Some of the other guys didn't have? Confidence. Yeah, that's it. Stan Musial, the great Cardinal outfielder. Wally Westlake was a teammate of his. 
and he, while he told me this story. It's they're sitting in a dugout before a game, and Westlake goes over to Musial and says, Stan, I got up this morning, breakfast was great, the shower was great, the drive-in was great, and in batting practice, I've hit five home runs. I feel great. You ever have that kind of day, Stan? And he said, every day. <laughs> That's as good as it gets. The quarterback who throws 10 incomplete passes never thinks about the 11th throw to have the 10 incomplete effect of confidence. They have that ability. You take wide receivers in football, they're all fast. They all have good hands. The great ones, the great ones, they believe it's coming. Gretzky told me he saw the puck go into the goal before it went into the goal. <laughs> it's a, so I have great appreciation. I also have appreciation for politicians. They do something we don't do. They have a first Tuesday in November. We don't have that day. We don't have a first Tuesday in November. They win and lose. They stand up before the public and they win and lose. They get rejected. Jimmy Carter telling me the saddest day of his life was flying home from his last appearance when his advisors told him, you know, they know in the afternoon. Yeah. You're gonna lose. The great story that Barbara Bush told me, when George Bush lost to Bill Clinton, at three o'clock in the afternoon, they knew he was gonna lose. And they were all sitting around Samba, and Barbara Bush came in and said, where do we get a driver's license? <laughs> <laughs> if you're like me, the list of books you wanna read or those people suggest you read is never ending. I devour books, but I don't always have time to sit down and read as much as I'd like, and I'm sure you're in the same boat. Thankfully, Rubin Report sponsor Blinkist has solved your long list of must-reads once and for all. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books and distills them down to their most impactful elements so you can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes, all on your phone. With Blinkist, you'll expand your knowledge and learn more in just 15 minutes than you can almost any other way. Plus, you can listen anywhere on your commute, on a plane, or while waiting for your morning coffee. I personally like to listen to Blinkist while I'm taking my dog Emma on a walk. When she's sniffing my neighbor's new flowers, I'm learning something new too. The Blinkist library is massive, from timeless classics like Think and Grow Rich to current bestsellers like A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. There's something for everyone on Blinkist. My personal recommendation is to check out a few titles from former Rubin Report guests like Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, Waking Up by Sam Harris, or The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. Blinkist is constantly curating and adding new titles from best of lists, so you're always getting the most powerful ideas in made-for-mobile format. Five million people are using Blinkist to expand their minds just 15 minutes at a time. Get started today. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Rubin to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Rubin to start your free seven-day trial. Blinkist.com slash Rubin. Now back to the interview. All right, first off, King, we just did something that we've never done on the show. What is before. that? We stopped for a moment so that Alexis could bring you a chocolate shake in the middle of the show. Now, normally, normally someone with diabetes and heart things <laughs> should not have a chocolate milkshake. However, I've lost weight, yeah. and uh, I don't know why they say it comes with aging. 
I have I try to have a daily milkshake to not lose anymore. Yeah, that's a that's a little callback to Brooklyn, right? Oh yeah, we had malteds too, where they put malt in. Yeah. The candy store. There's no candy stores anymore. There's no candy. Well, now they've got like you know Beverly Hills Super Deluxe. I'm fancy, talking about a candy but, no, store. No, you're talking about candy. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. a jukebox, and you sit in, you have egg creams. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about age. I guess it's a little weird to talk about at some level. You are 84. 85. I'll be 85 in November. Okay, so can't you can't believe it. My father died at 46. I've had every known disease. I can't believe it. I can't believe I'm this age. What is it? What does it feel like? I mean, you've you've had a couple heart attacks, diabetes, a couple of things, and, and you're still here. You're doing your thing. You're out and about every I morning. Think, I bump into you half the time. In I LA. think that uh, is the reason I'm around. Is that I have a purpose. I I'm amazed at people who retire. As Milton Berle told me once when I asked him, "Are you going to retire?" and he said, "To what?" What would I do? <laughs> if I get up in the morning and had nothing to do, that's terrible. So I have a place to go to follow my profession. That's wonderful. If you can keep that going, I'll probably die on the air. I'll, I'll, <laughs> someone asked, what would you like? You really old? want to increase my YouTube views right now, King? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would you like your obituary to read? And I said, oldest man who ever lived passed away today. <laughs> <laughs> In his sleep with a smile on his face. But you still get a kick out of everything. I, I know it. So wait, just real quick, tell, tell everybody a little bit about these. You have these breakfasts with your old crew. Well, some of them have passed away. The guys I grew up with in Brooklyn, but we have a crew of about five or six. We meet every day at different places. And we, I tell you the truth, David, we solved the problems of the world. Today, we solved Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> Iraq hey, audience, no worries about Iraq. The table solved it. Mostly morning. through jokes. We do our jokes. We talk about people get in arguments. We talk about Israel. We talk about hearings. Who's this? What's this senator doing? What's he doing? And then we also discuss Sinatra and old-time musicians and who's doing what, and what did Barbara Streisand make on her last tour. And so we never know where the discussion is going. And that's the wonderful, and, and when you can have friends from childhood, two of mine have passed away, but I still have two others. The best thing about it is I'm not Larry King. I'm Larry Zeiger. That was my birth name. And they're very happy for me but I'm still, hey, button your button on your shirt. You know what I mean? They, they don't treat you like anything different. What's it like as somebody of a certain age now where, you know, you just mentioned you've lost some childhood friends, your brother passed away just, I think, Last six year. or so months ago, yeah. Um, just watching life turn in that way. That's the saddest. Sinatra told me once, the saddest thing about aging is your friends go before you. I didn't want my brother to die before me. He was your younger brother, right? Yeah, he was 80. Um, yeah, he was 80. Uh, loss is hard. It's because uh, I don't believe in afterlife. I'm not religious. You think this is it? That, maybe that's it. 
I've never, I've interviewed thousands of people, people who said they've seen death and all this. I, I don't buy it. I, maybe a little, I don't buy it. I just, it just makes no sense to me that Lincoln is up there or that there's someone up there looking down on me. I, I went to my grandchildren's, they're twins, a boy and a girl, so they had a bat and a bar mitzvah. And for the first time in ages, I read from the Old Testament. That God. <laughs> He's a piece of work, huh? Son of a bitch, Jesus. Did he hate it? Rot my enemies, loot out, show me one good thing. My God, believe in me above He was vain, incredible. He was a Donald Trump before there was a Donald Trump. Believe in me above all others. I am the, I can't believe it. So when I read that, I couldn't believe it. So I can't buy it. I've interviewed all the great religious leaders except Pope. Yeah. I've never been convinced. So when you've, when you've sat down, I mean, you've sat down with everybody from the Dalai Lama, across the board with great... Billy Graham was a friend. Yeah, so when you've sat down with them, even if you don't believe it, did you feel that some of them were able to get something out of belief? I believe they believe. Yeah. Uh, un unless there are some phonies, you know, send in $10 and I'll send you a little cross. And yeah. Don't buy any of that. You as probably sat down with some of those guys too, right? Oh yeah, Jerry Falls. As George Burns once said, when he played God, it's a great movie. Great movie, great movie. And he gathers all the religious leaders, and he calls in a Jerry Falwell type, and the Falwell type goes, "See, he called me in first. Goes up to his room, sits down, and God says to him, "Why don't you sell shoes?" <laughs> <laughs> So I never, I never bought that part. But I, I like Billy Graham, respected him. Billy Graham thought I was very spiritual. And do I believe Billy is with Jesus now? No. But Billy believed it. Billy believed he was going to Jesus. He had not, didn't have fear of death. He had a fear of being in a plane that's going down to crash. But he didn't fear death. I feared. I don't. I don't. I'm like Woody Allen. I don't fear it. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe, so I, my wife believes, I respect believers. See, when I approach an interview with Billy Graham, I respect him. I ask him the best questions I could ask, like, why do you need to stay at the Fontainebleau? Or as Len, I've quoted Lenny Bruce to him, any person who's got a calling from the Lord to lead the flock, who has more than one suit, while someone has no clothes, is a cop-out. Hmm. And Billy Graham said, in today's world, you have to have more than one suit. You have to travel. I, I asked him if Christ... Right, Jesus would, probably had one pair of flip-flops. Would, would, what would Christ, would he buy suits? And he said yes, and he would go on television. That was the means of communication. I mean, that's their answer, yeah. but he believed it. I respected his belief. But I'm not afraid to ask him any question. If when you die, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will live forever. What happens to Jews? And he said, well, I, I don't go into them, but maybe at the moment of their death, they accept Christ. That's kind of a cop out to right, me. There's always sort of another answer, I right. suppose. 
Did you ever talk to anybody, either religious or otherwise, that you felt had some sort of special insight into some of Well, this? I had this doctor on who was convinced that he had died, visited what the world of afterlife was, and then his life was saved. He was a recognized doctor. He knew what disease he had. I threw it up to a vivid imagination, and he got a best-selling book out of it. People want to believe. You know, I wished that I had faith that I could make, it's called a leap of faith. Yeah. You can't prove it. So it's a leap of faith. Now we have faith in a lot of things. You get on an airplane, you have the faith that that airplane company hired a licensed pilot, right? But you have some core of belief that you think if you jump out of the 10th floor of a building, you're not gonna make it. So you don't jump. The people who have that faith, who go beyond, I, I just think they've got a great crutch. A great crutch to know you're going somewhere. Yeah. But at the end, do you think it matters? If they, if they live a good life and you live a good well, life? First of all, they're never gonna know. Yeah. If they go somewhere, they were right. If they don't, they don't know because they're dead. Yeah. So they got a good deal going. <laughs> they really have a good deal. I don't have a, I'll be, if I've got an afterlife, I'll be shocked. Yeah, but you'll be doing this. Oh, I will, absolutely. Or maybe you'll be playing baseball up there. I'm not that good. <laughs> you're, not, you're not that good. Um, let's talk a little bit about politics. You mentioned Trump. We did about 40 minutes. His name didn't even come up once. First time in American conversation <laughs> that any two people had a conversation for 40 minutes and the name Trump did not. That's one thing he's done. I'll bet you everyone in America at one time today said the name Trump. Everybody. Everybody. Is there anyone else that in, in the years that you've been doing this that you saw just that effect? He's the only president that I've known for 40 years. I met the other presidents, some before they became president, uh, Barack Obama, George Bush, Bill Clinton, but they were in the political sphere. Mm -hmm. But Trump is the only one that was my friend before we, Trump and I went to the Super Bowl together. Yeah, can you talk about Trump and I were Trump? fathers of the year together. Is that in right? In 1995, he had his kids, I had my kids, there's a wall of Astoria, we got trophies. <laughs> um, I went to see Marla Maples in uh, her Broadway show. I went with Trump. I stayed at his hotels. When I had some minor surgery in New York, he took my wife out to dinner the night before. He comped me at every hotel he owned, put me in a suite at the plaza when he owned the plaza. But one thing we always knew about Trump, he was a character and he lied. Now he, he almost lied by it's, it's snowing out when it wasn't. Uh, you know, he'd be on my show and say, highest rating ever, right? You know? <laughs> and it was all about him, but he was a character and it was fun. Yeah. And he could be very nice and generous, okay? Had all those qualities, but he was a character. I mean, he would call up the New York Post with a different name uh -huh. and tell him stories about Donald Trump so he can get on page six. That was his goal. But president? President, are you kidding? Anybody, any of us who knew him years ago, first, he was a moderate to central Democrat. Supported Hillary Clinton, loved Hillary Clinton. Thought she was a great senator. Mm. He wanted single payer health care. He didn't care about abortion. Come on. Evangelicals? I don't think Donald ever read a book.
but he's but he was a, a friendly character to be around, a wonderful guest, a lot of fun, fly off the top, but president. So, president. So what do you make about what happened here? Like, I have no idea. Hillary was a bad candidate, a wonderful person. I know Hillary very well. Great sense of humor. Sad. I don't know whether she didn't go to Wisconsin. Did you, did you get a different Hillary when you would inter her, interview her publicly? This is what a lot of the well, Hillary, about her is, is that she's very friendly and open. And one-on-one, on one she's good. Yeah. In front of an audience, she's not. She's not a good... She's running for something. Now, I went to uh, Yom Kippur service where she was the speaker. She was terrific. She wasn't running for anything. She was a senator from New York, damn good senator. Uh, she ran a horrendous campaign, and she was not a good campaign. I thought she won the debates, but it almost didn't matter. Trump became... Well, Trump got elected with that first question in the first Republican debate when he was asked about women and uh, did he ever call women pigs and he said only Rosie O'Donnell and he sat in the middle of all the Republicans why did they seat him in the middle he was just four on there. one side four on the other. Did, did you really think it then from that moment that he just I had... thought he would ignite something but I thought he was dead when he said the thing about McCain isn't a hero certainly when he got off the bus with Billy Bush I thought that was over but his base doesn't care. If evangelicals can put aside his personal life, he'll never lose them. He'll never, uh, it's, 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 it, I've never lived in weirder times. I mean, this is the weirdest time to know. Every day, yeah. there's a story. Does this truly, in all your years, does this right now feel like a truly, truly unique time? Because people ask me that oh, a lot of the public on. events I do, and I think the answer is yes, although you always think it when you're living it, but of course give it's me perspective. Unique. Do you believe that somebody said one day, do you see what Lincoln said? <laughs> or, do you hear what Roosevelt did last night? Do you see the speech? that Carter made to the UN? Was that weird? No. They didn't do weird things. They were president. They, I remember I was in the White House interviewing George Bush and Barbara Bush said to me, Larry, suspenders in the White House? You know, um, she was at yeah. the White House. This place is now, I wonder what it's like in there. The guy writes the op-ed page in the New York Times. My God, the Woodward book. Fascinating book. We're living in those times. Yeah. Woodward can't believe it. But I can see as you talk about it, there's a glimmer in your eye. Like there's something exciting about this. Do you think that that's in a weird way the, the good part of this, even if it's kind of helter-skelter now? And I'm glad I'm not on CNN now. I wouldn't want to be doing panels every day and Trump all the time. I don't want to do that. No. That's not the whole world. Trump's not the whole world. He thinks he's the whole world. How important do you think politics actually is? Because I think now there's maybe, what I'm realizing now is that this is really about culture, what we're fighting right now. This, this battle that seems to be important, it's about culture, it's about what do we really care about, what do we like, not just about the ins and outs and machinations of You know politics. what, I think too much of America is still prejudiced against Latinos, blacks. That still runs through a lot of this, in my opinion. Mm -hmm people voting against their own self-interest. You know, let's, I want to face it with something. Obamacare is working for a lot of people. 
You don't hear many complaints about people who are under it and getting good medical care. I'm not sure they'll ever do away with it. It's just those, those kind of facts. Are, so it bothers me when I see that why we still have prejudice in America and appeal to it. I mean, Trump, even his defendant would say he appeals to it. What, what do we need? A, we need a wall. Do you, think, do you think that's a play by him? I mean, for all the years that you knew him, did you think he was racist or that this is... I never thought he was racist. Yeah. I think he was opportunistic. He was... He took advantage of a situation. So we used to say he wasn't smart. He wasn't book smart. I bet at, at school he got a gentleman's C. Mm-hmm. The big influences in his life were Roy Cohn, who I knew very well. Yeah and his father, and they were bad influences. I mean, Roy, Roy Cohn was a bad, I, I liked him because he was peculiar, yeah. but he was a- Wait, for the people that don't know who Roy Cohn is. He was a bad guy, he was part of the McCarthy era, and yeah. all the angels in America, had a, he played a part in that play. Uh, and he was affected by that, so I never, I never thought he was a racist. But his narcissism was beyond belief. I, in every other sentence, I did this, I did that. I, I'm the greatest president we've ever had. How could you say that? How could you say that? So if you were sitting down with him? I would say, Donald, why? I spoke to him every day during the campaign, not every day, once a week during the campaign. He knew I was voting for Hillary, but we were friends, and he would call me, what do you think it is? I'm doing this, what do you think of that? I got this, what do you think it is? I'm, I'm gonna do an interview with the New York Times, you know the guy, should I do this? And then when he was elected, I never heard from him again. I haven't heard. Do you think we can get out of this polarization that we seem to be in? So if we're in this unique time right now, and crazy time? How's it gonna change? You know, we don't have a forceful leader. It might be Bloomberg to lead us. We need someone to lead us out. We need Gary Cooper, maybe George Clooney (laughs) in the modern society. I'm not kidding. George Clooney, a bright, and he is bright, George Clooney would be very popular. Women's vote, smart as a whip. What does that tell you, though, if we need to go to celebrities? You think maybe we're just in there, in this so forever That's now? what it is. It just is. That's the internet, that's the world we live in. Yeah. Yeah. I like George a lot. <laughs> I'd yeah. vote for him. Yeah, but do you think we can get out of this, this thing? Well, they say America always comes through everything. George Will, who's become very anti-Trump, believes we can find a way again. America has a way of finding a way. I hope so. I hope I'm around to see it. Um, but right now, you know, when I, in my early, I could name every senator 10, 10 20 years ago, every senator. Yeah. And Guy, Orrin Hatch and Ted Kennedy were great friends, sponsored bills together. Hatch did his eulogy. Mm-hmm. That, that wouldn't exist today.
That, uh, today, the, the thing is so bad. When Obama nominated his guy for the Supreme Court, I shouldn't forget his name, uh, and they never brought it up. Yeah, um, not Gorsuch, uh, Mick. Uh, we'll get it. We'll get it. When, when 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 we nominate people like that, who was pretty much middle of the road. Oh, Garland, Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland. Yeah. If I were the Democrats now, and they take the Senate. I would hold up any appointment yeah. until they can have a president, and the first person I'd appoint would be Merritt Garland, who deserved to be on that court. Yeah, so this is just both of them playing politics to the nth But degree, will right? we have a chance? I, I don't see it coming. You know, when Merritt Garland was nominated, for example, Orrin Hatch, before he knew they would delay it, said he's a great man. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes party over country, party over country, sad. Will that, you think it's gonna change? I think that the outrage machine that we're running on right now, I think it can only last for so long. So I think it can, it'll either blow up into something much worse, and I don't even know what I mean by that, but I think things would actually get much worse, and some of this would actually spill over into violence, or what my hope is, and I think this is the more uh, realistic option, is that the outrage will start running out of steam like a car running out of gas, and that from that, somebody, whether maybe it's your Clooney or it's whoever else it is, just a decent human being, a Bloomberg or something else, will come back and decency will be appreciated again. Because I don't think this outrage thing can run forever. It's too, it's too mentally exhausting, it's, too, it's physically exhausting. There's a decent man I've known for years, is Joe Biden. Nobody dislikes him, wonderful father. I thought he was a great senator. <clears throat> great vice president. If he were a little younger. Can you imagine he'd be, what, 82 or something? Yeah, because you can't dislike him. You want to be VP? No, I couldn't take the cut and pay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's finish up with some, some big picture, some big picture stuff. Looking back, is there anything you would have done differently? Career Wouldn't have gotten married as much? I would have gone national sooner. I had the talent, but I was a big fish in a smaller pond in Miami, and I liked that. I had radio, television, co column in the Miami Herald, you know. Everybody knew me in Miami. I never sent a tape to New York. Right. I should have. I would have liked to have gone national sooner. Just, just to have more success earlier, you think? Yeah, to appeal to more people, because I, I had something, to, I knew I was good. I knew I was good at what I did. And I, I didn't really get well known until my 50s, and I think it could have happened in the 30s. I'm not any better than I was in the 30s. I'm not better today than I was when I was in my late 20s. I was, all, see, I always was curious. I always let my ego at the door, always asked short questions, always got really interested in the guest. That never changed. Sometimes someone will play me a tape that they had from 30 years ago. Still me. Yeah. I'm still there, still asking questions. I think the first time I interviewed you, I asked you something about the ego component relative to, to interviewing, and your answer, I, I loved it, and I, I've really tried to incorporate it in what I do, which is you said, the show was called Larry King Tonight. My ego is already stroked. Yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. My motto, it's a good motto, Dave, it could be your motto, could be anybody's motto. If Donald Trump had this motto, we would be a better country. This is my motto.
I never learned anything when I was talking. Think about it. I never learned anything when I was talking. Now, I may impart things to people, I may bring some knowledge, but I haven't learned anything when I'm talking. It feels like a privilege in a way, right? When you have somebody great across from you and you get Damn this, right. this, this, I'm telling you, this hour of my life is a privilege. Please. Oh, to be on the Rubin Report, to be part of, what, by the way, since it's a report, <laughs> do I get a grade? You will be graded at the, oh, trust me, the YouTube commenters, Gonna, oh, we get YouTube commenters? They're gonna, See, I don't have the Wilberthal. How do you go Trust to me, Larry King, that is the last thing I want to impart on you. All right, final question. Here we go. What's it all about? I've asked you this. I've asked you some version of this many times Every before. Day I What's do it all two about, things. my friend? What's it all about, and what does it all mean? What does it mean? A hundred years from today, who's going to care? <laughs> right? John Lowenstein once hit a Grand Slam home run for the Orioles to beat the Yankees. And the crowd went crazy. Someone said, John, how does it feel? And he said, a hundred million Chinese don't give a damn. What does it all mean? The answer is, I don't know. All right, my friend. Well, despite the fact that you did not wear suspenders today, which I'm I did not. I wanted to be totally casual with you. This true. This is what it's about. What I what we just did for the last hour. Thank you, David. I thank you. My pleasure, and thank you for the milkshake. All right, you guys can check out Larry on Aura TV and follow him on Twitter at Kings Things.